Let's get into this. We have some stuff to go over. I'm excited to share with you the picture of baptism by way of the flood to show you how interesting this whole concept of the Nephilim. I want to show you why there was a need to clean. It was God's purpose, and the word is clear on this, right? Every time we hear about water, every time water is presented, we find that it has to do with a cleansing. There's something that needs to be removed because water softens up things that are hard on you. It softens it up to then remove. Of course, if you add soap, it causes it to be removed even faster and stronger. But my point is simply this. We're going to understand that there was a problem that was a really strong problem, and I want to make sure that I emphasize the theological point of view. So here's the theological emphasis. I'm going to start with that theological emphasis. Why are we going to emphasize theologically? So that when you trip and fall, you don't let go of the word. Because we, we fall, we trip. What happens if you don't have a firm grip theologically, your issue will cause the book to fly elsewhere. And now you're going to try looking for the truth and the truth is far away from you because you didn't know how to hold on. You weren't intentional about holding on. Does that make sense? So when problems come, you know, the song was appropriate today. When the issues present themselves, if you don't emphasize your theological prowess or your ability to understand the word, you will find that you will cater to the circumstance of the moment. The storm will be a storm to you. The the depressing moment will be a depressing moment to you because you haven't held down that which is given to you as a truth. And so here's the theological emphasis. Because we're dealing with Genesis and the book of John, there are two stories that I'm going to correlate, but I want to include 1 Peter chapter 3. So we're going to be in Genesis and John and first Peter chapter, let me give you the actual chapters. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be in John chapter 9. And we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3, specifically verse 18 to 22. All right, so let's take this in first. Theological emphasis. Genesis emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Genesis, Genesis emphasizes the sovereignty of God. His role as the creator. And the consequences of human sin and disobedience. So what does Genesis, what's the, what's the purpose of Genesis? Theologically, to emphasize the sovereignty of God. His role as the creator 
and the consequences of human sin and disobedience. That's in its entirety Genesis. It is, here I am, sovereign Lord, creator of the universe. And as I create the universe, I will have little narratives to show who I am. So I need to create an opposition for my position. Y'all didn't get that. Sometimes to emphasize your abilities, you need to have somebody be able to come at you. Martial artists, you get somebody who's a black belt, and he's wanting to show his class his abilities. He needs to get somebody else, create that person's abilities, right? Form that in them to then tell them, come on. And one of the greatest emphasizers is to say, I know that a devil needs to be created so I can show my power. Okay, okay. It is come, devil, with all you got because I taught you. I taught you how to be glorious. I gave you your light. I gave you the ability. Come now and let's do this so they can see what's going on. And so the sparring match between good and evil, light and darkness, takes place. Who's with me so far? Who's understanding this? So when we say who created the devil, we know God created the devil. But his sovereignty was necessary to, necessary to be demonstrated. He had to demonstrate his sovereignty by having an individual or an entity with some type of power to show that that some type of power is not ultimate power. You got some type of power. So I want you to come with me right now, and I'm going to show the world and my creation that you really have no power against me, even though you have some power. So while you're doing ah, you can, I'm going to come in. I'm going to take that. All right, come on, throw yours, and I'm going to throw mine because I need to show my sovereignty. You can't understand light. If there is no darkness in front, you require a bad situation to be able to appreciate a good God. So the other thing here, it sets the stage for the need for redemption and the unfolding of God's plan through the people of Israel. The Gospel of John, on the other hand, places a significant emphasis on the divinity of Jesus and his identity as the Son of God. And I dare say this, as much as this has been on the table for dispute amongst theologians worldwide, I dare say that the emphasis is to show Jesus as God, not just as the Son of God. Now, if you can remember one of the classes I gave, you'll realize that the reason why God has to show himself, hmm, he has to show himself as the Son of God, 
is because he had to be able to find a separation to be amongst his creation and be the creator at the same time. So we need to understand son of God. We need to comprehend that there is a son who is God, but the son of God, because we only understand what's finite, beginning and end. We are, it's hard for us to comprehend one person being in several places at the same time. Even though we can say it to really understand it. What is the biggest problem with other religions and what we present? Really simple. It doesn't make sense, so it can't be. Even some denominations refute that Jesus is God because it doesn't make sense that God is here and there. But the only way the universe can function is having God in his throne and God on earth. You can't have God leave his throne. The moment he leaves his throne, everything goes haywire. That means that God had to find a way to be God here and there and allow there to be the sovereignty of God here and nothing in nature ever get a glimpse of the fact that he is there at the same time. Or should I put it this way, that he left his throne. He had to maintain his posture on the throne because in doing so, he establishes an order that circulates him. Don't think for a second that the things we see in the material are not the narrative of the spiritual realm. Let me say it again. Everything we see, you see how the planets go around the sun? It is the narrative of the story of heaven. All right. You see how there, that circulation is based on a combination of planets, and none of them are doing it at the same time. Some of them go around faster than the others. God is the center, and his story is that he's light that doesn't require other light. So he's imploding with light. He doesn't receive light from any other source. He is the source of all light. You're with me so far. And because he's a source of all light, that means that whatever he does and whatever he creates has to have an ingredient of, what's the word? Continuance. There has to be even when he looks away, because right now the universe is running on its own in that he already, he, he did this. And it's still moving. You ever, you ever played with a top, one of those tops where you spin it? Do you have to keep doing like this to it? So you walk away and it's still spinning? So consider that on an eternal level. That's why humanity, if not stopped, it will continue. And the only way to stop humanity from procreating is by ideologies. Paradigms. The breaking of the rules will cause there to be a stoppage. So what happened with these Nephilim? 
Let's read Genesis chapter 6 really fast. Let's go there first. I'm trying to go in sequence so nobody loses the thread. Genesis chapter 6. Then the people began to multiply on the earth. The people began to multiply on the earth. And daughters were born to them. Why daughters? That's interesting. The sons of God saw the beautiful women or the daughters of men and took any they wanted as their wives. Was that the original plan of God? So Genesis 1.26 says this. God created them, male and female, he created them. He gave them instructions. He said, be fruitful and multiply. With who? With the one you were with. He told the fish, the birds. He told every creature to do the same thing. The problem here was sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Okay, I'll give you some of the, the, the comments that have been out there. Some to this day they will argue. They will bring it down. They'll tear it down and say this is what it is. Some will say that the sons of God are angels. The problem with that is that if the sons of God are angels, then we should right now be commingling with an angelic race right this moment because that means they must have been multiplying since the beginning. We should see a good amount of angels or Nephilim. So hold on a second. Were angels created to procreate? So they weren't given parts that were to continue. They were just created in one shot. If that were the case, then why didn't Gabriel just get with Mary? That would have solved that. Instead of just being the messenger. Why wouldn't there have been other encounters? Because we know even with Lot, when those two angels were there, why didn't they start to intermingle as well? Because you, they can't. Angels do not have, they don't have reproductive organs. They don't have the connection between the sperm and the egg, there's none of that. It does not exist within the angelic realm. So who, now that we get there, so who are the sons of God? Well, let's go and let's read something before we go to the next part. I want to make sure we read this, and then we're going to come back to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6. Let's go to right now uh, Luke chapter 3. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. And this is one of the reasons why I understood that this concept of sons of God or the sons of God is a little bit deeper than just to simplify it by saying it's angels. Look what it says. Let's go to, um, let's go right, to, I might as well just go right to it because I'm not going to read the whole thing. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 38. Chapter 3, verse 38. Here's what it says. Kenan, 
was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. And Adam was what? Hold up. What made Adam the son of God? So wait, we have the son of God and sons of God. We need to break that down a little bit. Because the sons of God and the son of, who is the son of God? Jesus. Who is a son of God? So if Adam is a son of God, then let's read Genesis 1 again and analyze who are these sons of God that had intercourse with the daughters of men. How about I do this? And I'm hoping everybody will be able to see what is a good place I can place this so that we can have no interruption with the So I want to show y'all something. I'm going to erase this. And this is going to be, thank you, son. Oh, perfect. All right. So much for the waterfalls. Okay. So God creates. Here's God. He creates the sons of God. Sons of God, or let's make it even better than that. He creates male and female. All right? Here goes a male. Y'all know how I do. Female. All right? That's one couple. Here goes another couple here. Uh, there. It's funny how the distinction is there. <laughs> and then another couple here, right? So these guys here are created by God directly. So remember we were talking about belly buttons? Remember, remember that? Are these individuals in need of a belly button. No. Why? Because they were created by God, so that would make these men what? If according to what we just read in John chapter 3, Adam was what? So what are these guys here? All right, so the men that are there are sons of God. Now what happens? These individuals did what? What did they do? No, wait, wait, wait. They did what? They had children. All right? These are kids. All right? And I'm going to put, do we have a red one? No, we don't. I'm going to put blue as in boy. Right? These are the boys, the ones, all right? And the other ones are girls. All right, so just take, just follow me. Follow my madness. All right, so the black ones are girls. The blue ones are boys. So we know 
that males and females are being, that's the procreation. But the rule was for those who were created to remain what? With each other. But when you break the rules that were established by God, here's what happens. Here's a son of God, right? Here's a daughter of man. He then says, I'm going to wander off and get with, oh, there we go. Praise the Lord. There you go. Thank you. So the women are red. All right, there we go. Makes life a little easier. These sons of God start having relations with the daughters of humanity. Are we getting it now? So what happens when this took place, it is now out of line or out of order. You remember I shared with you the whole lion and tiger scenario. What's the, what's the, the similarity of a lion and a tiger? What is, this, what is their similarity? Come on, guys. Feline. That's the answer. They're feline. They are a species. They're feline. What happens? Do you know if you get the sperm of a house cat, home cat, like Tom is his, what's his name? You take that and you place it in a lion, you still can get something. Because it's feline, but it's not allowed because it's not the same of its kind. Right. That is the answer. So what is a Nephilim? A hybrid. The Nephilim is a hybrid. They are a combination of two that were not supposed to be. Why? Because the purity of this, these, these entities that were created by God was supposed to be with them. And they were supposed to continue to procreate within them. But the sons of God started looking at the daughters of men. That was like horses looking at donkeys. When horses look at donkeys, what do they form? We talked about this already. They form mules, but a mule, male mule and a female mule, can they procreate? Look it up. They cannot because they were, they're not allowed to continue what's not part of the original plan of God. Because it's not part of the original plan, God says, no, I'm not going to allow that to move forward. But what happens? These mules or Nephilim, these mules or Nephilim are bigger than the average Joe. They're stronger than the average Joe. They can do things better. They're athletic. They are the ones that we find in Greek mythology. Before Alexander the Great, years before he pops on the scene, there are these gods that people were acknowledging. 
And these gods were individuals that the board speaks on. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Look what it says. Are we clear so far? Because this, this has been the most confusing thing. Oh, no, we're going to get it. We're, you're going to get it. Trust me. Let's go there. Look what it says. The sons of God saw the beautiful daughters and took the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Keep going. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Those days, those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites, or Nephilim, lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. So the Bible doesn't neglect or negate this area of mythology. The Bible is including it, but in the right way. These Nephilim were the Zeus, the uh, Apollos, the these yeah, Hercules. That's what this was. So you had all these warriors that dominated the earth, but they were what, guys? What were they? They were sterile. Sterility was becoming the end thing amongst them because everybody would want to have somebody who is a son of God, sons of God. That was a term used. You're a, you're a son of God. You're sons of God, right? You are a Nephilim who's of a son of God. I come from the line of XYZ. Here's the problem, folks. The project of the Nephilim was to eliminate the plan of God for procreation. It is what's going on today. The Nephilim project today is just a different face. It's just not what it was back then. Now the brilliant ones are also Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim today? And what is the Nephilim project for today? It's going to be one of my books. If, if somebody else writes it and, and you see it out there, it's because I, I wrote it before. And it was out there. Trust me when I tell you. The Nephilim Project, if you ever hear, no, Nephilim Project is not AI. The Nephilim Project is a rainbow. The same rainbow that was used in this season. It's, see, the devil is sloppy. He leaves his marks. So the Nephilim Project is none other than homosexuality that produces no production. Who's, not, who's understanding what I'm saying? So he had to come in another angle. And the other angle is now we're going to make it not the sons of God because they got wiped out. There's no longer any sons of God. We can't go through the same project again because all of the sons of God died where, guys? They died in the flood. 
all of the sons of God died in the flood. Who remained? Now, remember the giants that were the brothers of Goliath? So there were still giants in the land. But there were daughters that came from that seed of connection. See, what we forget is that it, the design doesn't just come from the male. It comes from the female. So there must have been still the area of extraordinary beings, but not like the Nephilim. The Nephilim had superpowers. They were extraordinary. But being extraordinary doesn't mean that it was God's plan. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go right to verse, let's go to verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. Usually I use this to talk about this, this verse or these verses to talk about Jesus going down and preaching to those who are dead. That's not what I'm doing right now. Same verses, different angle. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. We know what happened. So he went after he died. He went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago. When God waited patiently while Noah was building his boats. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that was a, is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, let's stop there. It is effective because of the resurrection. See, when the baptism took place of the earth, which is the flood, that's what it's saying there. The flood eliminated all that would be contrary to God's master plan. So they all were wiped out. Now, it's obvious that even in the wiping out, you still have, you still have a remnant. Because there's one of his sons was not right. And one of his sons carried a continuance. We know that. Because Canaan, Ham's son, began another type of scenario. And because of the curse that was placed upon him by Noah. Anybody, everybody know the story? If you don't know the story, let me tell you real fast. Real fast. So Noah was excited because he just finished getting off the boat. He built a vineyard. He was happy at the fact that... God saved him and his family. So what did he do? Not only did he build a vineyard, he decided to get drunk. He built the vineyard, got drunk. One of his sons, this is where you understand the power of sonship. One of his sons decided to go and look at him, watched him act a fool, and went and told his brothers about it. 
He said, yeah, dad is over there getting drunk. Boy, he dancing the Macarena. He doing all types of stuff right now. He went and he spoke about his father. Even in your drunken state, you can still feel this honor. So what happens? That one, his name is Ham, decides to go tell his brothers about what they saw. They take a different approach. They come over, tell Ham, all right, whatever, whatever. They go backwards. They don't even want a memory of their father's nakedness. We don't even want to imagine it. We don't even want to think about it. So they're going backwards and they cover their father's flaws. Oh, I'm sorry, his drunkenness. And in doing so, they demonstrated honor. You know what this honor is? And what happened there? Canaan, not even Ham. Canaan was Ham's son. Ham was the one who should have gotten punished. But the punishment went to the child. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. In the realms of dishonor, Noah said, mm, you did me dirty, son. I'm not going to do you. I'm not going to take it out on you. I'm going to take it out on your children, on your son. Canaan, right now, is going to have the curse. And he will be a slave to his brothers forever, meaning the offspring. Why? That was not nothing big. We don't know what the whole story really is. We don't know if Ham took rocks and was tossing at his father. We don't know if he, you know, he was telling, hey, come here, come here, walk this way. We don't know the whole story. We got a short version. But something deep and sinister was taking place there. That the other brothers did not do. And the other brothers, understood, they understood, man, we want, we want to cover our father's weakness. So what happens? When we talk about this flood and we talk about the future giants like Goliath. The giants of Goliath, they actually were descendants of Ham and descendants of Canaan, because they were of the other side, but they were not Nephilim, and that's the part that people confuse. They think that these giants, because the term giants is a common denominator, that that's what they were. They were not Nephilim. They were just giants. Did we encounter giants in this century? Guys, do we encounter giants in this century? So are they Nephilim? They reproduce. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has children. You know how tall Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is? Shaq has children. Shaquille O'Neal has children. The man is a giant. His foot is like this. All right? So are they Nephilim? No. These Nephilim were supernatural in so many other ways. It wasn't just that they were big. They just did a whole lot of stuff that normal humans just don't do. But they had to be wiped out. Because baptism is a wiping out. Let me repeat that again. Baptism is a wiping out. 
You're letting it be known. I do not want that life in me anymore. Wipe out. Remove. And then there's something to keep us remembering. You know, I don't get offended. I told you all this. I don't get offended with the, uh, with the rainbow. Matter of fact, it makes me hungry. You know, I was a kid. I used to like um, Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. What's the other one? Lucky Charms. Fruity, Fruity Pebbles. So it makes me hungry. I got Skittles. So I look at, I look at, I look at the rainbow. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what you're trying to, trying to do, but I'm going to tell you what it does for me. That's why as believers, we got to start taking a stance. I don't understand. What are we afraid of? What are you fearing? Who are you afraid of? We still are the majority. God still on a Sunday, I feel God's presence. You know what I do when I drive over here? I pray and say, Lord, let me team up with everybody who's a serious prayer right now. Let me team up with those who are going to church to worship as I'm driving. Because I realize we still have power, church. And here we get somebody go, yeah, what, what did you say? Did you say homosexual? Did you say gay? Or what's the one that's offensive? There's, there's, a word, there's one word that's offensive. No, no, you can't say that one? Or, or the F word, right? But not that F word, but another F word. Because if I really put it in its terms, it is actually a part of a tree. It's a faggot. See how words change? Gay is supposed to be happy. You know, there's songs that before it became a thing, you know, I'm happy and gay. Now you can't say that because it goes somewhere. Now it's okay. It is better to be a heterophobic person than a homophobic person today. Nobody's going to attack you if you're heterophobic. But you got to care. Yes, we care about the people. We do. It's the reason why still a plan that's anti-God that we got to come against. Could you imagine if everybody in this room were to take on the ideology of the Nephilim project or homosexuality? We'd be it. She wouldn't be pregnant. There would be no continuance. Who's understanding what I'm saying? But we're afraid. The church, the church is afraid. The church is fearful. We don't want to say anything because, oh, my God, if we do, it's not politically correct. You know what I saw Father do? And this thing here riled me up. He went into a courtroom. And he took a book that was being read to his children. You, 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 did you see that? He said, he stood there and he starts reading it. And the people there were like, you please stop. Don't read. He said, but wait a second. This is what's being read to my children. Look, look, look. This is what happens. This, this is what takes place. Talking about all the private parts. And they're telling him, please, your time is up. Please sit down. And he's a pastor. 
He goes, but wait a second. Are you serious? Am I offending you? Are you really offended at the fact that I'm reading something that you have people reading to my children? And the church sits back and worries about petty stuff. Oh, he ain't look at me. Oh, she, she ain't say hi to me. Oh, get, get off that already. We got people dying out there, and there's going to be another flood, just not in water. And here we are worried about all this other stuff, and God is saying there are souls out there that need to know the truth. But we're afraid. We worry about our own stuff. Oh, my God, this is going on with me. Oh, everything's me, me, me. Praise the Lord. John chapter 9. John 9. This concept of the Nephilim, how much time do I have? I'm good? This concept of the Nephilim, I need you to take it as this area of clarity, right, where God removes so you can see. We have been blinded. We have been blinded by society's guise. We think that because the general populace believes something, that is so petty. We believe that because everybody believes something, that's what it is. How many people believe? Oh, then that must be it. The world is flat. Do you know everybody thought the world was flat? To this day, there's still people trying to... Mm -hmm. it's, it's flat. How? How in the world? When you look at the way pilots are trained to travel around the globe, they take heed to the circular motion. They're mathematically assigned to look at degrees. That's why I was like, why are we going up to come down? Why don't we just go straight? Because going straight means going out and around. Y'all didn't get that. Because it's circular. I said when we went to, um, what was it? Uh, when we went to South Africa. They went, the plane went up. And down. I said, that makes no sense unless it is round. Because it's farther away if you go from here to here. You got to come out and come back. Versus doing this and coming down. Because if it was flat, then we would just go straight across. It would make more sense. Am I making sense? But we believe whatever the general populace believes. We follow the crowd. Whatever they do, I'll do. Oh, because the crowd now, it's hip to do this. It's hip to do that. Stop it. Give whatever you got to give. Because, yes, Jesus wore whatever he wore at the time to give to the people. He wasn't concerned about his attire. He was concerned about the word that was being given. If that's the way you work to start off with, then stay that way. If your whole ministry started, look, look, this is, what, this is what I'm talking about. If your whole ministry started a certain way, hat to the back, you know, the whole nine yards, stay there. Because you started that way. If you start changing up, then you're trying to be trendy. 
And to be trendy means that you're not comfortable enough with the message being the adornment. Y'all not hearing me. It should be enough, the word that comes out of my mouth, not the suit that I wear. I'll take this off. It means nothing. I remember one guy, he did a preaching. It was a great preaching. I mean, I still remember it today. It was almost, wow, almost 20 years ago. This guy stood up there. He looked sharp. He had a nice tie, nice everything. He was talking. He was preaching the word. He says, but see, you guys don't know what I know about me. And so now everybody's going, what's he talking about? He said, don't I look good? You guys like what I'm wearing? When he took his jacket off, his shirt was ripped to shreds. It was ripped in pieces underneath the shirt, underneath the jacket. He was trying to prove a point. You guys will listen to me if I look like this. I take this off, you ain't going to listen to me. Why? Because we're so catered to that area of appearance as if appearance is what brings the word. John the Baptist wore uh, camel clothes and all types of nonsense, ate crickets or, or grasshoppers and locusts, them, one of those animals. He, he did that, and yet his message was a message of life and life in abundance. Now what? Men who, who've been in ministry for thousands of years, all of a sudden you want, you want to be trendy. What are you doing? If you're telling me God gave you instructions, amen, I won't argue that. But if you're telling me this is going to be a ploy to draw people, that's a problem. Because according to the word of God, from what I understand, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it's clearly that only one person draws people. If we get it right, the people will come. Not based on anything else. If we get it right, some people will go too. Sometimes when you get it right, it may not be the result you're looking for. God is the one who sustains. And he'll keep you in a place based on him and not anyone else. Not the apostle, not the pastor, not the evangelist, not your next door neighbor, not your children. Not, none of that. Because if they're the reason why you come to seek God, then they got to keep that alive. Amen. John chapter 9. Look what it says. As Jesus was walking alone, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. We know the story. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. What did I say in the beginning? Things will occur... So God can show up. Be careful asking God, Lord, show up in my life. I want to, <laughs> I love this one. I want to experience you. Then comes the thing that will allow you to experience, and now you're trying to tell them to go away. You're trying to 
pray that thing that's going to cause the experience to go away. Y'all don't know right now, I am, I am experiencing God right now in this season. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Because when you're in the midst of that moment, you've asked God time and again, show me. I want to have time with you. You sure? Yes, I'm sure. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Are you really sure? Then all of a sudden that thing comes, and you and your little pity party. Whoa, is me. Everybody hates me. The world is falling apart. Not realizing you just called God to be a part of moments that are supernatural. So guess what? If you want to experience water out of a rock, then you got to be what? Thirsty. Got to be thirsty. You want to experience the, 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 the uh, quail coming out of nowhere. You got to be what? Hungry. You've got to be a part of the side that hurts to experience the good side of God. You want to know him better. Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I, we sing it. We sing it good too. I want to know you. Then he says, here I am. Now me drawing to you is going to require you going through some stuff so that you are truly sure it's me for you at that moment. I need to introduce myself as your savior. So I need to save you. And that's not just salvation. There are three things that I want you to write down right now. This story here speaks of a man who's blind. The first thing we find out is that he was born blind. Born blind for God's glory. Born blind for God's glory. That's number one. Number two, he was given, and this is is the main one, guys, instructions. God will never allow you to obtain something without giving you a way out. There will always be a way out. Instructions. And number three, results. What did he do? What did God, what did Jesus tell that man to do? I'm going to tell you, let me tell you what he did first. Jesus first makes a mess. Mud in your face. Mud on your eyes. He first shows a problem on top of the problem. Blind man with more dirt in your eyes. Like, like I need dirt in my eyes. Why didn't he just tell him, open your eyes, you're healed? He needed to show a story, a narrative. And the narrative had to be about baptism. See how all of it is connected? The baptism that took place when he told them, wash your face. 
If God tells you to wash your face, it's because your face was what? Now the question is, who put the dirt in your eyes? Oh, that's good. Look at God. God intentionally says, I'm going to dirty your eyes. But if you follow my instructions, that line of thought, that narrative is going to lead you to your healing. I'm going, I'm going to intentionally be a part of you being dirty because I know the final outcome for you to be what? And I'm not going to have anyone lead you there. Because by the way, in this story, in John chapter 9, for whatever reason, this blind dude knows where to go. No one took him to the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam means the pool that's being sent. Siloam means sent. No one took him there. He went there and he washed his own face. No, but sometimes we want somebody else to wash our face. No, 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 no. You, you got to do it. Somebody else got to do it. Take, take, take it all right here. Take it off right here. Right here. Take it off. You're touching where it needs to be taken off, but you want somebody else to do it. Why y'all looking at me like that? Some, some of us get itches on the arm right where we can scratch, but we want somebody else to scratch. Scratch it right there. Scratch. You, you got that. You can do that. But we want somebody else to touch and scratch. Sometimes God wants us to be the one to wash our own faces. So we don't keep complaining about, they led me the wrong way. I bumped into it. None of the disciples took that man to the pool. And he could have told them, guys, just kind of usher him over there, lead him over there. No. Go ahead, wash your face. Go ahead and wash your own face. The very face that I put my spit and dirt on, I, Jesus the Christ, did that. So we can't blame anybody. Ooh, that's so good, Lord. We can't blame anybody. At that point, Jesus is making it clear, I'm the reason for it. You have dirt in your eyes, I put it there. Because it's the only way to get you to understand that I've given you instructions clean up your face. Genesis, continuance, John, instructive, and 1 Peter speaks of exactly the combination of both. It is the power of God telling us there is something I need to remove to make you right. And sometimes what you have is based on my permission. I permitted that dirt because you want to get to know me. I mean, what was the privilege the blind man got after he wiped his, after he washed his face? To see, to see who? He got to see the face of God. And not only did he get to see the face of God, if you understand the story, there's something that comes with the anointing. You know that if the anointing touches you, the anointing is not, what's the word? The anointing doesn't have favorites. So that anointing will go to whatever other part of your body needs to go to, including your intellect. 
Y'all know the story, right? This dude who was healed of blindness, who removed the dirt from his face, who now was able to see, is now able to talk to people who he could not talk to before with boldness. You know what he told the Pharisees? It was unheard of. I know today people do that. Teenagers do that to their own parents. But back then, back then it was very, very, it was out of pocket for somebody like the blind man to tell a Pharisee something like this. I don't know. You're asking me a whole bunch of questions. Could it be possible that you may want to be one of his followers too? That's how bold he was because the anointing makes you bold. It makes you not fear the right way because you could be fearless the wrong way. Along with having no fear is understanding the love that God's placed in you. That's the part that becomes confusing. Like, how do you mix this area of love? Well, yesterday I had a hard task. Probably one of the hardest tasks ever. Yesterday I had to tell a little boy that his father is not going to come back again. His father died. A little boy who just was with his father at his sister's graduation, kindergarten graduation. I had to sit there and think of what anointing is going to be necessary to transition this boy, to help him to understand that God is with him even in this process. When this young boy heard the news, that's why it's so important we as believers, we know how to translate, how to bring about something. And yes, talk about the dirt in the eye, but talk about the solution. This young boy, this little boy had to be told. And, and God, God gave me such a platform. He gave me Spider-Man. What you thought it was going to be something else? He had a Spider-Man watch. And I looked at his watch. I said, wow, Spider-Man. And we got into this whole thing that he let me know that he went to a movie, to the movies, to see Spider-Man. Starts naming the characters. This, this is the one that just came out, where Spider-Man is Puerto Rican. So he's telling me the names, and he says, yeah, because Miles... Miles becomes invisible. There was the opening. Miles becomes invisible. He's still there, but you can't see him. The power of God was so in that moment. But it's anybody in this room, you wouldn't have a heart if you didn't start feeling like you wanted to cry. Because when he finally found out his father died, he looked at me, he said, he, he, he died, he really died? Looked at his mother, mommy, he, he really died? Starts crying intensely because the realization came there. And these are the things that I say to myself. Why do we bother all the, in all these other areas when the true story of a Genesis, of a John, the book of John, 
is to bring life and life in abundance to people. That's broken. You know what he said? He said, and he's never going to forget this. He said, how does my father die at age 33? He was 33 years old. How does he die at age 33? Because he finally realized that his abuelita, that he's with his abuelita. So he understood death because of his abuelita. So he's saying, but she's old. How does, how does he die at 33? He kept repeating that. I thought I'd share that with you because today I woke up different. And I realized that we take a lot of things for granted. These two kids, and they're beautiful. Y'all know them. Some of you have met them. They've come to a Noah and Emma. Beautiful children. They don't get to wake up to their dad. Who, how he died is just, it's a mystery. He went to jog. He was healthy. He worked out. Fell down, had a cardiac arrest. And to watch that child's face. To realize that he's not going to have daddy come to him anymore. You know what his mother told me this morning? She said he asked for you. And he wants, he wants you to come back again. Because there was comfort in that moment. I was talking to him, embracing him. I was touching his feet. While he was crying, I touched his back. I did the things that I know are necessary, not just in my field of endeavor, just being human. But some of us, again, this is what we got to push out of the door moving forward. These classes are for us to understand the word, yes, but to also see a picture of ourselves. That's why I'm making it relative, guys. I can be so technical right now and just go, hey, I have it here. Look, I don't come unprepared. These are pages and pages and pages of stuff. I could just stay, stick to the script. But then what does that do for you the next day? Five minutes? What does that do for you? Each one of us has our own story. And I'm not going to minimize anybody's story. Everybody has a story. Man, if we can start focusing on other people's lives as well, start caring about how we treat people, stop thinking about the world centers around me and how I feel is what everybody else should feel. Or go, you know what, how, how are you doing? I'm not feeling too good right now. I'm not, but forget about that. How are you? I'll be transparent. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. Right now, in front of you, I'm in a lot of pain. Could you tell? Can anybody here tell? You couldn't tell, right? But those who've seen me, my wife knows that I am in a lot of pain right now. You know I'm in a lot of pain, folks? Because I got shingles. 
Oh, no. Am I going to stop moving because I got shingles? Am I, what did I do with them? I was in college at, with my students in pain. Next. Let's go over your paperwork. Counseling people. Counseling. I, did I stop my counseling sessions? And this is what, I'm only telling you this, guys, because this is the example I'm supposed to be. So when you're feeling all this pain and you don't want to deal with anybody all day long, oh, get them away from me. I can't stand people. That's a problem with you and God. Don't blame anyone else. You can still do what you need to do daily. Before I came out here, my wife grabbed my hands and she prayed for me. Elder Jeannie happened to walk in right at that moment into the office. She's telling me stuff like she wants to help out. Praise God. She's saying, you know what? Maybe you could do half a little bit and then maybe I can. I said, no, I'm going to do this. And see that smile that she does right there? That's a smile that gives me encouragement. Because she lets me know, you got this. You can do this. I was two seconds away from going. He didn't even know, he didn't even know I was in pain when he let me go to hug because he came to hug me. He does that hug. We always do that hug. He had no idea. When he let me go, in my head I said, that was worth the pain. Sometimes it's worth the pain. Right? No, I'm not saying I want that now. <laughs> but, but, but if you don't know, you don't know. Somebody else hugged me like that tight. Who was it? Oh, yeah, Elder Tiff. Painful because you don't know. At this point in life, guys, it's going to be important that we start, if we really want the flow to move to a new stage, let's learn the word. Let's dive into the word. Stop making excuses about learning. If I give you a test right now, Will you at least be able to tell me who are the patriarchs in Genesis? We've been talking about Genesis now for a while. Do you know who they are? If, can anybody right now, if I, if I were to ask you to raise your hand right now and be that person, can you tell me with the exclusion of, of Pastor Jen? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? I, I want somebody, somebody bold enough who can tell me who are the patriarchs in Genesis. We're not wasting time. We're getting into this word. We've been in Genesis for a long time now, since we started the church. Anybody? Anybody bold enough? Anybody bold enough to be, to be incorrect? Anybody bold enough to be incorrect? Bo See, that's, a, that's the boldness. Are you bold enough to be incorrect? All right, I'm going to start here, you, and then you. One, two, three, and back there. No, not one. Well, you're bold enough to you actually raise your hand up. He said, Adam. All right. <laughs> That's fine. What's up? Hit me off. Scratch? What's going on? Abraham. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. You know what I'm going to do real soon? Not only am I going to add, guys, prepare yourselves. This is a class. I'm not only going to ask you to tell me what the patriarchs are or their names. I'm going to ask you what they did. So it's going to behoove you all not to skip church and not do it, but to be here and be ready because I'm going to start asking questions. Can anybody tell me what miracles are only found in the book of John? That are only found in the book of John. The miracles that are only found in the book of John. You sure? Is that the only one found in John? That, that's one. Who's saying what, what? But I don't want y'all looking at stuff. No, no, that, that's... That, no, I don't want y'all looking at stuff. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I need you guys to really eat up what you get taught. Because I realize now what I'm going to do moving forward, I'm going to start going back, and I'm going to start testing you guys. I want to see that you guys are really eating up, and I'm going to just pick randomly. So just in case there's always one who has all the answers... No, I'm going to pick randomly because we've got to, I don't want to waste these next months that we've been putting together. I don't want to waste these months because we're not going to be doing it like this anymore, eventually. It's going to be a fully loaded church. But right now, I want to set the cement. I ask you questions. There's a bunch of them in my head right now, but I want to be gracious. I'm going to give you all next week. Next week, we're going to have a Q&A moment. Next week, I'm ha- we're going to have a Q&A. We went all the way up to, listen, guys, I've been all over the place in Genesis. I've covered all of the first six chapters of Genesis, including Genesis 12, Genesis 12, Abraham. Genesis 15, the promises of Abraham. Genesis 22, the sacrifice of Isaac. Y'all with me so far? I'm kind of I'm trying to toss some stuff out on purpose. Every part, and I haven't even touched on Jacob yet. Jacob has a whole storyline. I touched on Joseph a little bit, Genesis 39, Genesis 40. I want y'all to do it just like I'm doing it right now. I want y'all to be just like that. You guys can do it because you have the same Holy Spirit I have. He's the one who gives me everything. Question. Oh, you have a question about this. All right, I have no, do I have no time? All right, so negative three minutes. Let's, let's, no, let's, let's, let's do this one. Go ahead. What's your question? Microphone. 
that. So the sons and daughters of God, right? All right. So their offspring. Sons and daughters of God. And had their offspring. And they all had their offspring. I thought that the sons and daughters of, or the sons of God were procreating with the second creation in Genesis 2. And that's what created the Nephilim. No. I didn't know that the sons and daughters had children and their offspring, I guess, were. So once you are born of humanity, you are now a daughter of man or you, you become now umbilical, umbilical cord holder. You, you now are a product of the umbilical cord, right? So what happens? These here, male and female, are all now part of humanity by being procreated. Not created, but procreated. So their offspring wouldn't make them also grandchildren of God. I mean, like, I'm just saying, like... Their like, grandchildren, if you want to do it that way, look, look. No, 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 you want, you want to answer it? You can. Because the truth is, it's not about grandchildren. We're not... God is not looking for grandchildren. Because it's God. God creates male and female. They have children. They follow instructions. They procreate. But these knuckleheads, which we still have today, these knuckleheads weren't satisfied with who God gave them. So they decided to have relations with the daughters, not their own daughters, but the daughters of men who are umbilical cord driven. No, they're not because they're not, this guy here is not going down here with his own children. How, what, did they come out the same womb? That's what it is. They, don't, they didn't come out the same womb. They're not brothers and sisters. They're not even cousins. They're separate creations. God created all of them. And then, look, this is the beautiful part of that, right? We're, we're done. We're almost done. Watch this. So this is all of them outside of Eden, right? This is Eden. So what did God do? God took another guy here, right? That's another guy. This guy here is called Adam. Adam was created in this realm without the female. Everybody with me so far? Let me say it again. This is Eden. This is the world, all right? When Adam was created, he was created, these guys were created as well. The difference here is that Adam was created, but then translated over into Eden. You follow me? By himself. So God creates him in the same place he creates everybody else. That's why they're called sons of God. That's why in John chapter 3, he's called the son of God. Because he was created just like they were, 
but he was created by himself, who's with me so far. And then when he creates him, he takes him out of the rest of the world and place him, it places him in the embassy called Eden. So now he becomes the ambassador of humanity. Ambassador of humanity. So all this is still taking place while he's in the Garden of Eden by himself. Volume. Volume. So isn't procreating with other people a sin? Like, like in this instance, it, the Nephilim is a sin. But if God made the world without sin before Adam ate the, ate the, the fruit, so watch this. Possible? Good question. That means he's paying attention. The fall in Eden caused a ripple effect in the rest of the world. So the involvement of Satan with Eve caused this to happen. Everything was moving smoothly. Everyone was doing what they were supposed to do. Sin comes in through Adam, not Eve, through Adam, who was also, remember, Eve was not created on this side. Eve was created in Eden from the rib. So this didn't apply to her. So in here, she's the only one who can be called an Edenite. The only person born in Eden. All right, time's up. I hope that helped you. All right, so they're not cousins. They're not brother and sister. <laughs> All right, we got that. Praise God. Let's stand and pray. Why don't you close us out.